You're listening to The Doctor's Companion, brought to you by InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com. Everybody, welcome to uh, the second edition of this of this week's worth of uh, the Doctor's Companion. I'm Scott Corelli, and I'm Matt Smith, but not that Matt Smith. And we're from MindRobber.net, the home side of MindRobber Productions, where we talk about all the things on podcasts, like this one, The Doctor's Companion, where we talk about Doctor Who, The Mind Robbers Versus, where we pick a show we love and we, we, we tackle it episode by episode. Uh, currently, we're alternating between Superman the Animated Series and Batman the Animated Series very, very, very soon, about to uh, jump into Batman Beyond, then Justice League, then Justice League Unlimited, and then completely switching gears to Veronica Mars uh, near the first of the year. Um, then of course, uh, that's also the podcast where we, uh, do special movie review episodes of like movies that are currently in theaters, big ones that, uh, warrant a lot of discussion. The next one of those we're going to be doing is a Lone Ranger. Um, that's not true. Uh, we did Lone Ranger. It was maybe uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're Pacific not Grim. recording this in advance at all. No, no, no. Uh, we're, we're totally going weekly. Like we said, like daily, like we said we were, uh, Pacific Rim, Pacific Rim <laughs> um, should be yeah, out so now, the next actually. one is. Pacific Rim is that yeah, next? It should be. It should be out right now, actually. Okay, so then our next one's the Wolverine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Time travel. Woo! <laughs> um, and then, of course, there's our flagship podcast, The Mind Robbers, where we talk about everything else. Uh, usually on time. Um, if you like our shows, review them on iTunes. If you don't, or if you have questions, comments, um, or concerns, you can just email those to us, uh, a podcast. No, no point in reviewing them with a negative review, uh, cause we can't respond. Uh, <laughs> no, go and, straight for the head. Go straight for the and, head. Yeah, yeah, we can't respond. And honestly, if you give us a negative review, we're probably going to ignore your comments. But mm-hmm. if you go out of your way to email us and say, hey, here's my concerns about your show, uh, then we might we would we would be much uh, more likely to uh, uh, deal with them mm-hmm. rather than just being angry and, and just be like, mm, you're stupid, um, <laughs> which is <laughs> most likely a response if you just leave a negative review. Um, so podcast at mindrubber.net is the, uh, is the email. Um, you can also email us nice things. Um, yeah, do that. If you want to discuss, if you want to start a discussion about this episode or other episodes, uh, go to mindrubber.net, our website, uh, find the post for the episode that you have something to say, leave a comment, we'll comment back. Um, and then boom, there you go. Uh, also tell your friends because that's helpful. Uh, today, uh, we are talking about the second a story in the key to time uh, series of stories uh and this is the uh this is the pirate planet um, yes it is yeah uh <laughs> it really really is um uh, i have a lot to say about this but before we get to that sort of thing uh let's talk about the background and the significance 
uh, which which I can imagine a couple of things, uh, but I'm curious if there's anything else. What do you got? Well, uh, yeah, the Pirate Planet. This is the second story of the Key to Time. Uh, perhaps most significant because this is the introduction of Douglas Adams to Doctor Who. Um, yes. uh, they didn't know this at the time, but Douglas Adams would go on to take over actually the very next season of Doctor Who as script editor. Uh, and he was going. It's funny because he was actually he actually technically takes over with the last scene of this season. So while Robert Holmes is kind of like the the herald or the the last shining bright light of the of the Hinchcliffe Holmes era. This is really just, uh, this is really kind of a, an indication of kind of maybe where it's going in the following season. Um, as some background on this, Douglas Adams had actually submitted a story to Robert Holmes during the, uh, during the Hinchcliffe Holmes era, but Holmes just said it was just too crazy convoluted. Um, the story that, that Douglas Adams actually pitched was a story called The Cricket Men. Um, which he eventually just reappropriated and adapted into the third novel in his very famous Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series of novels. Uh, that story, that 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 book was Life, the Universe, and Everything. And just as a point of personal note, uh, that is the book at which I kind of swore off Hitchhiker's Guide of the <laughs> to the Galaxy forever because um, it was just such a mess. Um, uh, <laughs> but but uh, <clears throat> Holmes really wanted Adams to to keep sending in samples and writing ideas um, to Doctor Who. And uh, so Adams kept submitting and uh, wrote this script to a a radio series called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And he submitted it to Holmes' successor, Anthony Reed. And, and, and Reed was just like, wow, you're really, really good at this. So he wanted... Uh, home, uh, not Holmes. He wanted Adams to come in and pitch him some ideas. Now, the next paragraph I'm going to read comes mm-hmm. directly from Shannon Sullivan, and I just think it's a fascinating paragraph, mostly because knowing where this story ends up, I think it's just really interesting to see what Adams brings to the table, and also just the level of of just uh, imagination that Adams was bringing to the table here. So here's this is from ShannonSullivan.com, which is where I get most of my behind the scenes stuff. Because and Shannon Sullivan is a great site. Um, but here's here's this paragraph. <clears throat> Adams brought several ideas to the table. Predominant amongst these was the notion of a planet which is being mined by the Time Lords, who use a giant aggression sapping machine disguised as a statue to pacify the natives. One Time Lord becomes trapped in the statue and absorbs all the aggression, inducing him to turn against his people. He causes the mining devices to hollow out the planet and now plans to make it dematerialize and reform around Gallifrey. Additionally, Adams had conceived a drug addiction allegory about a company which preys on people who fear death by offering machines which can slow time for them, but at an exorbitant price. The company goes bankrupt, however, leaving one old lady in need of a source of fantastic energy. Producer Graham Williams, meanwhile, was keen on an adventure which featured a group of space pirates. Um, wow. So... Everything about the pirate planet is in that, but it just shows you one of those things where every so often you get, like, where a story comes from, and you can see how it gets developed into something else. Um, And I just think that's a really fascinating way of examining this whole story. So Adams kind of has a lot of ideas and was always really interested in new and interesting ways to do Time Lords. I mean, we're never – I don't think we're ever covering Shada, but Shada is an interesting – interesting from the perspective of creating a Time Lord prison. This is about a Time Lord uh, 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 plunder planet, basically which is kind of interesting. Um, 
So Douglas Adams starts here, and I have a lot of thoughts on Adams, who I very traditionally haven't really had the kindest thing, kindest of things to say for. Uh, but I, I do have a lot to say about him. But most otherwise, the other thing that's really <clears throat> important to note is that this story is directed by Pennant Roberts. Um, and it's funny because I was watching this. And I was just like, who directed this? And it wasn't, and I wasn't really paying attention to the credits, and because I just forgot to. And then I got to the fourth episode, and I got to the end. And I was like, oh, Pennant Roberts. Here's a list of other stories the Pennant Roberts directed: The Face. Of- I looked this up because <laughs> I thought the same thing. <laughs> the Face of Evil, The Sunmakers, The Pirate Planet, Shada, Warriors of the Deep, and Time Lash. Now, Scott, I know that you've only seen Time Lash, but Pennant Roberts, guy loves camp. Guy loves camp. Um, and, yeah. And looking at looking at Shada, I mean, it's interesting because <clears throat> Douglas Adams only wrote three stories for Doctor Who, uh, this City of Death and Shada. And it's interesting that Shada um, is also directed by Pennant Roberts because I think it's a really good indication of seeing what the two kind of share. Um uh, because I think that Pennant Roberts is a very specific choice for someone like uh, Douglas Adams. Um <clears throat> So I think that's it. I don't have I don't have any other other thing because it's it's really just yet another example of the key to time, um, and uh, that's that's about it. So there it is. All right. Well, uh, before we start talking about this sucker, it's uh, a reminder that today's episode is brought to you by InStockTrades.com. Uh, purchase paperbacks, hardcovers, omnibus, or absolute edition graphic novel collections at thirty five to forty five percent off. Um, plus, new release specials fifty percent off every re- week. And remember, all orders over fifty dollars get free shipping. So, uh, thanks to InStockTrades.com. Um, okay, so uh, what I what I what it occurred to me while I was watching this is um, I realize why people love Douglas Adams um, for this show. Uh, and why there are people out there who that is like their favorite era of the show. Um, and it's because it's really weird and really silly. Um, <laughs> and I feel like uh, that is a thing that people really like. Like if if there was ever a um, if there was ever a creator that I could point to and be like, that's the Stephen Moffat of the classic era. I would say it's probably Douglas Adams Mm. Um, because you watch the pirate planet. And the thing that I, that I took away, like other than the, the the terrible uh, cheap special effects and uh, ridiculous, like uh, costumes and set design and everything um, and complete and utter lack of extras. Um, uh, the thing that I took away is that there were there was a lot of really big ideas that were just completely squandered because there was too many of them. And I'm like, well, that reminds me of Stephen Moffat um, <laughs> because that's all this is. It's like idea, 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 idea. Like this is just an idea machine and it doesn't sit on any of them like any one of the ideas that are that are presented in the pirate planet could have been their own story and apparently were once their own story Mm -hmm. um but instead they just merge them all into one story that is just uh almost unbearable to watch um because it's it's just too much it this is just too it's too much going on without uh 
like giving any time to breathe on anything. Like mm-hmm. I, I, it was. This is a really like in, incomprehensible story because you're just given too much. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just given way too much. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, you're right. It does throw a lot at you, and there's parts of it that like the that like. Yeah, it's it is incomprehensible in times. Like I think that having having gone through it like a, new, a number of times for the blog really kind of helps my vision of it. But you're right. I mean, there's just stuff in here that just feels muddled. I mean, just feels really really muddled. And I think that that's a byproduct of a couple of things. One, um I think that I think that Adams, you know, Adams is clearly a good writer, but his problem is that like he doesn't have a good focus on structure. So this is all over the place. Like it just mm-hmm. jumps from thing to thing to thing to thing in a way that is really detrimental to how well he can display these things. Like there this story it's weird cuz I look at it and I was I, I don't know, I was probably maybe about halfway through part 1 or I had this thought numerous times, but if I could point to one story that is just quintessential what other people think Doctor Who is as the classic series, like, I think this is the one that I would point to. Um, yeah. Just and just because it's real. This is really campy. Um, uh-huh. Really, really campy. Um, the pirate, the main, the main pirate captain is just so over the top. Um Yeah. And wears this, like, ridiculously silly outfit that doesn't really make any sense. Um, And there's no real reason for him to actually be a pirate other than um, they just wanted a pirate story. And it fits in with the idea that they're just robbing planets. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But, I mean, and I I think that that goes not just from an Adam's perspective, which it's clear that that's written that way. But Pennant Roberts just takes that and turns it up to 11. Um, which he has also done in Warriors of the Deep. And, I mean, The Sunmakers was pretty much like that, but tempered by Robert Holmes. But also Time Lash, which is just unbelievably campy. Um, and, uh, and Shada, for that matter. The existing extant material that exists from Shada is all just like this. Thinking about, um, the, the evil villain of Shada, I forget his name. And he just comes from this school where you he he's written to be Count Scarleone, but he comes out as this captain. Um, and it's and it's interesting because that's clearly a Roberts decision because uh, Adams also does Scarleone in City of Death, and this does something that's totally different. Now, I actually liked this um, despite myself. I walked into this not looking forward to it, but I come out being like, no. If I had been watching this. When this had aired, and of all the people knowing that Adams was not the one who was going to take over, or that Holmes was not the one who's going to come back after this season, Adams would be the one who I'd want as script editor, based on the other three writers, the other writers of this season. Um, but mostly because I think that there is a lot of good stuff here, and I think that there's some really interesting things that go on, um, and I think that it's actually kind of a lot of fun, in even though it's paced very poorly. Um, uh, so, I mean, like, that's, like, that's kind of where I come at from it. I mean, like, Zangsia is a really great example, um, because we have to talk about Zangsia, because what Adams does that I really applaud is, I know I'm talking about a lot of stuff, but uh, this is where I'm stopping, um, what Adams does that I really applaud is that he has this character named Queen Zangsia, who's the queen of this planet, and, uh, the planet Zanuck, and, 
Zangsia, we find out, is this shriveled old woman who exists in a holographic projection as she attempts to return to her body. And she doesn't appear until part two. And what I love about the story is she's not in the first episode, but she's in the second episode as this where did you come from character. And then slowly over the course of the, se- of the, of the story becomes a more and more influence to the point that by the fourth episode, she is just a raging tyrant and the pi- the pirate captain is just potty in her hands um and it's fascinating to watch you know like i think that that is one of those things where it's like i don't think it worked super perfectly but looking at it from a script standpoint i thought that, that was probably the best thing that adams did in here and not because everything else is bad but i mean like legitimately genuinely very 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 good um so i don't know what did you think what do you think about that i don't know um i mean no that was that was good. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just this isn't this isn't what I want. Um, mm-hmm. This just isn't what I watch the show for, and I don't like. I don't like it just because I feel like it proves classic who naysayers correct. Yes. Um, and that's. I don't know. It it just it's it's everything I don't want um, yes. in classic who yes. uh, it's like this or uh, or a boring episode mm-hmm. um, or 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 God help me a campy boring ep- boring episode those are the worst mm-hmm. um, but it's just it's just not what I want um, it's like it's funny because you see like a lot of good ideas here but the budget of it is so low that it sort of ruins a lot of Adam's good ideas. Yes. Like, the idea of this pirate captain being a uh, a cyborg mm-hmm. um, is a really good idea because, you know, the whole idea of, like, pirate captains have, like, a peg leg or, or they have a hook for a hand or they're missing an eye. So, like, that's, like, the idea of, like, a pirate, a pirate uh, captain, space pirate captain... Uh, being a, a cyborg is a really great idea, except for the fact that he's just wearing a metal. It just looks like he's wearing metal armor. Yeah. Um. Because that's what he's doing. <laughs> that's what they can afford. Um, yeah. Right. Because they can't. They can't afford to make it look any other way. Um. And it doesn't help that they uh, hired a somewhat overweight actor, um, making it even more difficult to pull off the look that they actually want it to be. Mm-hmm. It felt like a lot of miscommunication across the board yeah. on this story. Yeah. Um, whereas it's like you read that story and if, if Douglas Adams had just explained to someone, no, you, don't you get it? It's like a, like, you know, pirates have peg legs. And so he's a cyborg. Like, I feel like the costume people might've made it work better or the casting people might've cast somebody um, really thin to sort of like cover up the fact that of that, like, make them really thin, make them wear basically the identical costume, but then fill out the, the human half Mm -hmm. um, to make it look like it's more like, it's just, it's just really easy, like costume and makeup stuff. Um, But they just, it, it, this just feels like there was a lot of shrugging going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, And, and, and and just like settling Mm -hmm. and the thing, and it, it, it it makes the story really suffer, Mm -hmm. I think. And I, and I think that that's a, that's also, it's not just, it's not just, um, 
it's not just a miscommunication thing. It's also like an interpretation of the script thing, specifically from Roberts, because you can tell that this is clearly like his vision. Um, it, like the characters in this all like they they he does not attempt to pull back Bruce Purchase's performance at all. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there's a part of me that just like ironically really likes the the captain um, just as a character. I just I, I I think that he's just really silly and really fun and just uh, like a shouting maniac there's a part of me that really likes it but it's clear that that based on other things that i've seen roberts direct it's clear that that's a roberts thing where roberts just doesn't believe in telling people to pull back like he just doesn't do it because Mm -hmm. it's not what he's interested in and did he direct a lot of episodes of the power rangers because (laughs) i feel like he would have fit in really well there yeah he should have he should have i would have loved all of those episodes um uh, <laughs> but I mean, like, and but like, that's the thing. It's like that's a Roberts thing. But you're right about um, you're right about the ideas because I look at some of the things that happen in this, and if you use your imagination, I feel like mm-hmm. th- it makes the story better. There's a part of this where the the planet Xanak, which is this pirate planet, which really is just a hollow planet that materializes around other planets sucks them dry of all of their mineral resources and then transports off and does it to another one. There's a point at which Xanak decides we're going to go take out Earth um, because Earth has this rare mineral that we need to free Queen Xanxia. So Earth is threatened. Um, So the Doctor gets in his TARDIS. And what happened early in the story is the Doctor... um, the Doctor and Romana attempt to land on this planet Caliphrax, which is where the key to time is. This next segment to the key to time is located, um, which is a really thing we actually have to talk about with this episode because it's kind of insane. Um, but they want to land on the planet Caliphrax, but they're shut out because Xanak materializes first. They kind of materialize at the same time. Xanak got there first and kicks the TARDIS away. There's a point in the fourth episode where Xanak is attempting to materialize around Earth and the Doctor gets in his TARDIS and tries to fight off that uh, materialization. And it's interesting to think about because if you imagine the story done now on a huge budget, you just have the TARDIS and this planet just in a time vortex, just grappling for control of who gets to land first. And it's kind of badass. Like, it's kind of Mm -hmm. like the most cool image that you can possibly think of. The problem is that this show can in no way support the budget of that even to show you like a model work. Um, It's just, Mm -hmm. it's too, it just can't do it. Um, well, it's like they they showed model work. Like one, one, like my two biggest issues with this with this story um, is yeah, there's a lot of missed opportunity there, but also like when they try things, they just do it really half haphazardly. Yeah. Um, you know, an example of that obviously was 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 the pirate captain's costume, but also you just call the, him the pirate uh, captain because that's rude. The pirate captain. Um. Uh, the pirate captain. Okay. Anyway, um, the uh, <laughs> sorry, the airship um, thing. Like in the close-ups, it actually looks really good. I actually thought that was really directed well. But then, as soon as they do a wide shot of it flying in the city, the airship is literally the size of a building, mm-hmm. and it's like that's just bad model work. Yeah, like. That's just bad model work um, to the point where it's like uh, have your model workers even uh, like did they did, do they know what scale is like mm-hmm. it's not that difficult to just make something smaller um, 
because honestly, it looks like they're either the the, the city is really small, um, or or this airship is just this massive thing. Uh, <laughs> but in reality, the airship is about the size of like a land speeder from Star Wars. Yes. Um, but in context of the city and the wide exterior shots, it's more like the size of a star destroyer. Like it's <laughs> it's obnoxious. Um, it makes no sense. Yes. And I I don't like that's just a thing where it's like who signed off on that? Mm-hmm. Who saw that and was like, yes, good enough. Yeah. And it just it's the kind like that's that's how I feel like the pirate planet even got made was it was, you know, Graham Williams and and Pennant Roberts collectively looking at things and going, yes, good enough. Yeah. And that's that's my problem with this Mm -hmm. um, is that that is that should never be uh, how you feel about about. Doctor Who, like, or really about anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> let alone just Doctor Who. But that's that's my biggest problem with this season and the season done by Douglas Adams is I feel like there's a lot of uh, good enough. Bec- and and I don't think that that's Douglas Adams' fault. I think what it what the problem is is that I feel like Graham Williams really liked Douglas Adams for all of his ideas and. Despite not being able to actually pull off any of them, he tries anyway um, with the extremely limited budget, thinking that uh, the ideas themselves will be able to overcome that budget. But it's just not the case because Douglas Adams just doesn't lend his ideas don't lend themselves to a low budget. Mm -hmm. They just don't. Yeah, I I completely agree. And it's interesting because like. There's a fine line here between because I because I I hear and agree completely and I think that that brings into a point that I wanted to bring up because um one of the things that's the hallmark of of classic Who is just the uh, ridiculous over the top ambition that this show has um I mean just just last week we talked about Galaxy Four and how. Um, like, I mean, it's not a good story, but the Lambert era was very, very focused on pushing the boundary of what they could do, despite the fact that they had no budget and taking them to taking people to a really insane place. And I feel like what Williams is doing here is trying to get into that school of, of just, I don't care what our limitations are. I just want to be really ambitious because this is a really, really, really ambitious story more than mm-hmm. even the rebus operation or anything in the, well, Anything in this season that isn't, um, what's the episode? Uh, uh, Armageddon Factor. I think the Armageddon Factor is maybe more ambitious than this is. Um, but even then, the Armageddon pla- Factor, the Armageddon Factor doesn't have um, just uh, stories about a planet trying to fight the TARDIS for control of another planet. Like it doesn't have that. And I think mm-hmm. that I think that part of part of this era's problem is that it doesn't understand its limitations at times. Like what, what made the lamb as opposed to the Lambert era or the Hinchcliffe era where it was like, okay, here's what we can get away with. Here's what we think we can push. Let's get away with everything that we can get away with and, uh, and try and push what we can, but know the limits of what we can, what we can do. Like there are certain things that we just can't do. And, the truth of the matter is there's a scene, and I tweeted about this, you know, a couple weeks ago on Twitter because that's when this is getting released and when I tweeted about it. But um, I tweeted, uh, nothing sums up my feelings on the pirate planet more than there's this scene where the, the, basically Zanuck has 
uh, absorb the planet Calufrax, and the pirate captain is is making an announcement, or whoever's making an announcement to all the people of Xanak and saying, "Hey, uh, all, we're all he- like we're all here now. We've we've we have another golden age of prosperity." And, you know, as written, you can tell that the scene is, and the people in the streets of Xanek rejoice and throw each other and hug each other and cheer and whoop and holler. And the problem is that this show can afford literally eight extras. Literally. There are... (laughs) And and one of that and one of that is there are seven people in a wide shot. Like it doesn't even try to hide that it's just seven people. Like it's just a yeah. wide shot with just seven people who can't act, who are all just like, yay, and then one dude walks in from the side. Just to, yeah. just to make it better. Well, he just walks, wanders in like, what are you guys just standing here for? <laughs> exactly. And and I mean, I like that in theory, but the problem is that like this show just cannot afford that. And that's a problem. Like, it's just, it's not, it's not as good as that, you know? And it's just sad. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just sad. Um, but I mean, I like, I like the, I like the ambition. I like that Douglas Adams is trying to do stuff that's really big. But if you think about all of the things that happened in his following season is like the only episode that lives up to that promise of just massive scope, um, is city of death. And even then that's because they went to Paris to shoot it. Um, and and blew their entire season budget on that. Um, and it's and it's and it's and it's sad because I think that if you did this today and you had a rewrite on it that was focused on the structure and and making it just really tight and cohesive, I think that this would be a really 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 spectacular episode. Um, just like I think that all the pieces are there. I think that it has all these things. But you know, the problem is that it's just it falls into this category of just being super camp and having a character whose name is Mister Fibbly, which. I mean, I've never liked the name Mr. Fibuli just because it's such a silly name. And my problem with Adams more than anything is just that the guy is just really silly. Um, Silly Mm -hmm. to the point where I just don't know what to take seriously at all. Despite the fact that there are things that he does want me to take seriously. When you name your characters Mr. Mr. Fibuli, like, it just sounds really kind of insane. Also, Mr. Fibuli looks like a a 70s hippie and it really entertains me always. Um, I just think he looks silly. He looks like like Bill Nye with a perm. (laughs) He does. (laughs) <laughs> it's just that hair and the sunglasses and the way he's like, oh, very good, sir. Like, I think that more than anyone, I think that Andrew Robertson is really the the, the unsung hero of the story just because I think that he gets exactly what it's doing, but he gets it in, like, a smug way, in a smarmy way, in a way that is campy but not over-the-top campy. Like, I, just, I think that his performance is the one that I think sticks with me more than any other performance in this, and I think mm-hmm. that it's really, really great. Um uh, there is uh, there. I do have to give credit where credit's due because there is one joke in this that works really, really well. Um, it made me laugh out loud. But there, it's that moment where uh, where they have to destroy something, and the pirate captain gets on the on the loudspeaker and he's like, "Guys, you have to destroy this thing." And then Mister Fibuli is like. Do you think they're going to know what it's going to look like? And then he thinks for a second and gets back on the thing. He's like, destroy everything. <laughs> and that just made me laugh because I was like, that's like a really like modern, funny joke. Yeah, it's that's a Joss Whedon joke. Um, yeah. It, 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 yeah. And that's I mean, that's really good. And I like I like the humor. There's just that my problem is that Adams oftentimes can just feel very, very set up joke forced. 
um, yeah. in a way that... But that moment that moment was really great. Yeah. And I wish there was more of that. Yeah, it... If there was more of that, this would be my favorite era. Oh, sure. It, it, like, there's just not. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, that's... And that's why I don't like something like Shada, because I just don't like the... I just don't like the, the humor of Shada, which is, which is sacrilege. The other thing that I think that he does that I think is really funny is he does, like, a massive nerd moment. And I know that a lot of people hate this, but I don't care what other people think. I just think it's really funny. And I know that it's... A, they ran out of time to shoot it, so it's not as good as they wanted it to be. Um, just wantonly isn't as good because they wanted to shoot more. But uh, K9, the robot dog, fighting a robot parrot is just exactly what I want from Doctor Who. I don't care how it looks. Um, oh, man. I'm just like, I'm just like, that is just like super nerdy stuff and that I just, that I love. And I don't, I don't love, I love the pirate captain's robot parrot, but watching him just attack K9 and then K9 just carrying it to the doctor with it in its, in its hand is just like, this worked completely. Like, <laughs> this worked so well like you just get shots of like the robot parrot just firing at K9 while K9 fires at the robot parrot as they're just like having a battle and the doctor's running to Zanxia like I just oh I love I love it so much I love it it's just yeah. so completely insane um, can we talk about the cliffhangers because I think that it's interesting that Douglas Adams uh, and I don't I don't remember um, what the cliff what what most of the cliffhangers were on City of the Death and um, his uh, his other stories mm-hmm. but uh, it seems to me that his first time out, he's just like, uh, the easy way to write a cliffhanger is let's put the doctor's life in quote unquote danger. <laughs> because it, every cliffhanger in this is the doctor seemingly dead. Yes. Um, which is a interesting choice. And one that does not work at all. Yeah, it does. It does not work. And looking at it honestly, he clearly learns his lesson at least on City of Death. Because City of Death, I mean, the cliffhangers in City of Death is one: the reveal that Scarleone is Scaroth of the Jaggeroth. The second one, which I'll get to in a second. The third one is um, the the revelation of the time slippage thing that turns that dude into a skeleton. And then the but the second one is the reveal that Scarleone is actually fractured across time, which I think is one of the great Doctor Who cliffhangers. Um, yeah, this is yeah. These, these cliffhangers aren't very good, but like K-9 and the Robot Parrot, I will give him credit for doing a walking the plank thing, which, like... Sure. I mean... Which, I that that I've seen on, on best cl- Doctor Who cliffhangers ever list. Yeah. Which is mind-boggling to me. It's... it's I'm just like, that's... I mean, it's 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 fun, but it's not a good cliffhanger. Yeah, it's not it's not a good cliffhanger, but it's it's something like it doesn't work in the context. Like I could tell you, City of Death Part Two is just one of the great Doctor Who cliffhangers. Like I would put that in probably one of the ten greatest Doctor Who cliffhangers of all time, um, at mm. least in the classic series, probably top five. Um, just because it's such a like you're watching that story and then you get to the end of the second episode and the whole story changes. Like it is perfect right. it is so perfect but but then you get to this one the reason why i like the plank thing is because it works in the context of this story it's one of those things where you know you have like you said you have this pirate captain he's a cyborg he's cobbled up of different parts um this planet raids other planets and steals and plunders and loots and you have this parrot and the parrot fights canine of course you have the doctor walking the plank like it's such a perfect in context thing that I just yes. I, I, I I love it. I've loved it since then and I know that people are just like, it's so campy and I'm like, but it works in the context of the show like, if you do a, like, if Graham Williams says, I want to do a pirate story and you don't have the doctor walking the plank, then what's the point? Like, there is no point. Yeah, I'm, I think that it does, but I think that there's a couple of things that, that hurt it. Um, and, and one, because I don't 
I I understand because the because the name of the episode is the pirate planet. I I understand that he's supposed to be pirate a pirate, and this is supposed to be a pirate story. And and I know that there's a robot parrot, but for generally speaking, I get zero pirate vibe from this story. Mm. Um, just just generally across the board. If if somebody didn't tell me what this episode, this story was called, I would have never gotten pirate until somebody said, "You know, he's supposed to be a pirate." And I was like, "Oh, I guess he is." <laughs> um, two, I think that the set of of uh, of his. Um, his uh bridge. i don't know office what the bridge yeah, yeah. Uh, the problem with the bridge in my opinion is that it doesn't feel like a pirate ship yeah um uh, there needs to not be a roof and i understand why there is a roof uh because they can't afford to not do this on a set um it's not like they could build the set on location somewhere they don't have that kind of money but i do think that it hurts it because seriously you take the roof off of that set and this instantly feels like a pirate story Mm -hmm. because then it feels like the bridge on a ship yeah but you have a roof on it it doesn't feel like the bridge on a ship at all yeah Um, and so when he's walking the plank i'm like that's weird that you just have a plank coming off the side of a skyscraper that's really strange (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> yes, it, it needs like it needs it just needs more iconography. And it's funny because yeah. I mean, and that's also a design thing is the design is so focused on the fact that Adams is doing a sci fi story. And it's clear that Adams is doing a sci fi story. Um, Adams is most interested in doing a sci fi story, but he gets this brief to do pirates. And part of the problem is like. Uh, uh, Williams went on a vacation to Portugal or something because, uh, you know, when you're in England, you actually get paid vacations and. Uh, he broke his <laughs> leg Well, he was there, so he was laid up in a, in a hospital for a couple extra times, which left Anthony Reed, the script editor, as like, co- like he was kind of producing this on his own uh, and taking over Williams' responsibilities while Williams was gone, and he was the one who was fighting to get this story made because Graham McDonald of the... Uh, of the of the BBC was just like was just like I don't like it. This should be done. He doesn't want comedy. Um, and I think that you know if Williams had been here more, I think that that wouldn't be as much of a problem. Honestly, as weird as yeah. that sounds, because like you know I do come down really hard on the Williams era. But you know if Williams had been here more, I th- I don't think it would be as much of a problem as you as you'd imagine it to be because he's so interested in the pirate thing. It's the only thing he wanted to do. Um, but mm-hmm. that he's not kind of does hurt it and you're kind of left with just a sci-fi trappings version of um of a pirate ship which is not kind of what you want i mean honestly curse of the black spot does it better but uh curse of the black spot also had to do it on a pirate ship to make it work um so right uh, it's it's funny because it's like on paper like i understand that the pirate captain is captain hook and that mr fibuli is uh me yeah yeah like I totally get it on paper, but I don't in context it doesn't really work unless someone sits me down and says, "You know that's supposed to be Captain Hook and Smee." And it's like, "Oh, I guess I see that now." Yeah. Yeah. But but I don't it should be obvious, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, it should be. And and I mean, and I mean that's not to say that it needs to be perfectly obvious, but it needs to not be oblique, which is kind of what it is. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I and I get that they were trying to not do that, but it it does kind of hurt the story. Um 
Mm-hmm. Now, one other thing that I think that we do need to mention is the planet Taliafrax, which we find out at the end of the story was the second segment to the key to time, which the doctor successfully <laughs> recovers. Here's my problem. Um, <laughs> well, okay, let me just, before we even get to your problem, as soon as they realized that, I was like, oh, well, this is a Douglas Adams story. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew instantly. I was like, yep, that's uh, that's definitely the guy. The guy that thought that up is definitely the guy that wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, without a doubt. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, it's completely <laughs> insane. I, I love it because it's, it's – I mean – it's brilliant because you have the pirate planet as this thing that steals the key to time in the first in the opening five minutes and the doctor just spends the next however long trying to get it back. My problem is assuming that the story doesn't happen, the doctor gets to Caliofrax. Caliofrax has tons of let's assume like five people on it. Are you really going to tell me that the doctor is going to take away an entire planet from people? I mean, not know, knowing that there's other pieces of the key to time later that are that are also also kind of beg moral dilemmas. This one is kind of like whoa, like, <laughs> like yeah, whoa. Um, <laughs> it just kind of makes me just question everything. I mean, I love the scope, and I love that you know this sh- this this show could easily just put. Um, just do uh, 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 the key being anything. I mean, the the Jethric Stone in Rebus and I think the one in Androids of Terror are probably the most simple. But I love that the brief is like, no, 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 we're doing segments of the key to time. Your segment has to be cool. Your segment has to be interesting. Um, and turning it mm-hmm. into an entire planet is the sort of scope that I kind of love. Uh, from this season. It's just an interesting idea that um, I don't know would have worked if this story had been any different, but makes it so that it's really easy for him to to get the piece at the end in a way that isn't so morally reprehensible. Um, <laughs> and I just, I just I wanted to I wanted to bring that up because uh, it's it's good. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I like the story for what it is. I, I know that it's not perfect and I know that it's it's kind of it's kind of uh, flawed, but there, I just watch it and there's a part of me that just kind of likes it despite myself. Um, like I tried so hard to not like this and I ended up just being like, no, it's good. I mean, I rebose operation is vastly superior and, and city of death is vastly superior, but I like this for what it is. I don't know. I, I do. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, before we move on, I want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by DCBService.com. DCBS is the site that lets you pre-order all of your monthly comic book statues, action figures, and anything else you can get from a local comic book shop. You place your orders three months in advance with monthly discount specials up to 40% off uh, and, and and sometimes 75% off. Uh, ship often as you like with orders as small as you like, uh, large or small as you like. You only pay six ninety five in flat rate shipping, so thanks to dcbservice.com. Tomorrow, uh, more key to time with the uh, the third story, The Stones of Blood. Heck yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> yeah, that should be, uh, that should be, uh, that's something. Yeah. That's something. Well, it's funny because um, I don't I don't remember Stones of Blood, so this should be interesting. Here's, here's what I'll say about Stones of Blood. If you're watching this for the first time, if you're watching Stones of Blood for the first time, you have to know that halfway through episode three, the story takes an insane left turn, like just a completely insane left turn. It goes off into a completely different direction, and uh, when it does, my 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 recommendation is just go with it and realize that the story completely changes. Uh, just because, okay. just because, just because, I'm I'm telling you, there's a left turn. 
there's a huge left turn. Um, awesome. It's nuts. Um, yeah, no, Stones of Blood, which is funny because Stones of Blood is widely considered like one of the gems of the Key to Time season, uh, and I didn't like oh. it when I watched it. But uh, when they did a when they did a rundown of all Doctor Who stories, or they were talking about they were writing them up for some Doctor Who magazine thing. Um, Russell T Davies was the one who chose Stones of Blood, and he got like first call, so he chose Stones of Blood. So I mean, wow. it's interesting that this is one that he he chose to talk about. Um, so uh, so that that so we'll be talking about that tomorrow. Um, which which episode? Which stories? Uh, in this in this series are um, six parters. Just uh, just uh, Armageddon Factor. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. That's not too. No, bad. No, it's not. It's um, not too bad, except for the fact that it's the Armageddon Factor. Um, well, but, we'll we'll talk. About yeah. Well, no. Every, once you hit once you hit um once you hit the Tom Baker era, no, there's never more than one six part story per season, so it's not too bad. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, they, I didn't know they that. They learned they learned from the Pertwee era that that was a bad move. Um. The oh. Pertwee era is the one where you have to worry about the six-part stories because they would do three six-part stories and two four-part stories. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of six-parters. A lot of six-parters. So many. Um, all right, so uh, yeah, Stones of Blood tomorrow. Uh, we'll talk to you then. Bye, Bye guys. guys.